0: We are recording this on finals eve in Melbourne, so the AFL finals. And I've got Nathan with me to talk all things leading up to the weekend. Nathan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Mo. Mate, it's been a while, but I thought, you know, what better time to bring you on to talk all things footy?
1: Yeah, look, it's uh, thank you again. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, look, it's an interesting time at the moment here in. Albin, obviously, as our listeners can appreciate with the lockdowns going on, a um, bit of an unusual feeling that there's going to be no finals played in Victoria this week. I mean, I don't think that's ever happened in recent memory. I mean, and if it was because of interstate dominance, not because of the global pandemic. So I think the mood at the moment, Danny, is probably just a little bit sombre. And I think the prospect of uh, Perth getting the grand finals a near certainty. So, yeah, just sort of just taking it as it
0: comes. Yep no absolutely it is it is odd, and as you mentioned, no finals being played in uh, in Melbourne and not due to uh, interstate teams being top of the ladder, although a couple of them are indeed in the in the top four but yeah, due to the pandemic unfortunately, which you know hopefully soon uh, things turn around and we'll see the mcg buzzing with fans again. hey Nathan, just before we get into the the finals uh, matchups over the, the coming weekend just wanted to get your take on the season as a whole how have you felt about it um, any anything stand out for you and just your general takeaways from this season
1: uh, well, i think look what one thing that i've sort of observed during the season that i think the gap is between the best team and the worst team I feel, is getting closer. Even even though my mob did come last, I mean, I felt we were competitive in the second half of the season. I know we'll go into that in more detail later. I just found that there was a bit of a gap between... At the same time, there was a bit of a gap between the top six teams and the rest. I think it was about four or five games difference between sixth and seventh. So there was that clear distinction, but you could see some of the sides, I think, like 16th, 17th, 15th, getting seven, eight wins. So... I think we've sort of seen that gradual improvement. I think what sort of saved a, a bit of an up-and-down season was a fantastic final round, seeing um, Brisbane get top four, literally with seconds to go, and seeing Melbourne get the minor premiership uh, at the last minute. So I think, think we, I'm just coming from a view of just really appreciating that there is football. I mean, the, the alternative could have been no football like last year for months and months on end. So just appreciative in that regard.
0: Yeah, look, that that's completely fair, Nathan. Uh, look, I do agree. I think the top six are definitely head and shoulders above everyone else. I think the drop between six and seven was a sort of a four-game win uh, differential, albeit you know the Giants, uh, in some eyes, overperformed. In other eyes, uh, I reckon they still have a pretty decent list to to win more games than they have. But we can go into that um, later on. And, and yes, look, some of the lower teams, especially Hawthorne, um, coming into the last five rounds or so, we're pretty competitive there. And other than the draw against Richmond, they were on a, on a bit of a winning streak, actually. And then you guys, are, you know, wooden spoon, but still competitive in a lot of games as well. For mine, mate, I felt the season started off really well in terms of um, some of the scores and the attacking football. And I was talking to Jensen about this on the last part and how I felt that as the season progressed, we were seeing less and less scoring and less and less big um, uh, totals uh, in the games. And I don't know if it's a matter of just players getting fatigued or the mental fatigue that comes with not knowing where you're playing and having to travel over the country and not having fans. I'm sure that would have played a role as well. Uh, but I felt some of the games were a Left me a bit wanting. Just it wasn't very entertaining compared to the start. We we had a lot more goals, and I think maybe the exuberance and that sort of um, the man on the mark rule helped that as well. You were you were seeing some openings that you wouldn't normally see uh, during the course of the game because of that rule. So look, um, it's a bit of an up and down season for me, and I think definitely the way my teams performed would have has you know influenced my view of the season too. I thought we've had a pretty disappointing season. Given the expectations coming out of last season with that list, I know we had a few injuries, and you know some of the most games missed uh, out of any list this season. I think we're definitely in the top top three or four, but I still think the the list should have been good enough to at least make finals. When you think about you know Essendon making finals and and a couple of the other teams that won two or three games more than us, so pretty disappointing. And I think that would have tempered my um my view of the season as well?
1: Yeah, I look, as much as you know, I have a dislike for Carlton. Um, I think deep down, I, I'm sincere when I say this, I think Carlton does have a talented list. I think their spine is very good. We've got the likes of Weedering, Jones, Walsh, Kerno, and Mackay. Like you can really, I mean, Coleman winner, um, you can really build a team around that. Um, you've gone and gotten Saad and Williams who are, high-priced half-backs, and I think it just looked like, to me, I mean, he didn't really get flogged in any games. No. It just, to me, looked like the T. And I was talking to my neighbour, who's good mates with Scotty Lucas, uh, ex Essendon player and now player manager, and I think the sort of vibe that I was getting from those conversations was that T Galactic plan B, um, and I think ultimately that was his downfall, as uh, has been reported today in the Melbourne media. Yeah.
0: Look I agree Nathan I think it's not that we were losing I think the manner of the losses which was very disappointing we just could never stop any team going on a run of goals we when we would concede we would just concede in a flurry you know you could be four or five goals up and turn around and wear three four goals down so you sort of conceded seven goals on the trot. we just could never stem the tide when a team got a bit of momentum and it's been happening now for two seasons and he hasn't figured out a way to to really stop it. And I don't know what it is about the structures or how the, the players go, but look, and to be honest, some of the losses against the Gold Coast Suns, North Melbourne as well, they're just sort of really, they're the ones you need to win if you're going to make finals. And and that team just couldn't really do it. And I, I really do think even with the injuries, um, he should have done a better job uh, with that list. So unfortunately, he had to go. And the comparisons to Clarko and Hardwick, I don't think they're fair because I I thought the lists that Clarkson and Damien Hardwick had were much worse off than our list. And, uh, you know, they were genuinely in the rebuild, whereas I don't think this list is.
1: Considering that he's a link to uh, Adam Chera from Fremantle as well, sort of signals the intent that I don't think you're going to be using pick six on an 18-year-old kid. Um, I think... There has been that rebuild for a long time at Carlton. And as I said, and I'm sincere when I say this, I think there is some genuine talent on that list. But, um, you know, a big club like Carlton hasn't won a flag for 26 years now. Um, big clubs don't want to wait, unfortunately. And I think you've got to sort of give some allowance to that um, so it's going to be interesting to see who gets the coaching gig. Um, the the rumours down here is that it's going to be Ross Lyon, but uh, even some of the temperature that I'm sort of reading between the lines is I don't know if Ross Lyon is as flavour of the month as what he would have been, say, five years ago.
0: No, definitely, I think you ask any Carlton fan and we would have loved to have Clarkson on board for this, but it doesn't look like he's willing to coach next season. And so they can't wait and, you know, you might look on back on that in a few years' time and think, you know, one more season of Teague and maybe you get Clarkson, but we just couldn't really wait, I don't think, and uh, it had to happen. But, yeah, look, if it's not Ross Lyon, um, let's see who else is available and uh, is the right man for, for the job and to take a list actually all the way through. So let's see how it goes. Okay. So now that that's out of the way, Nathan, we've got to talk about teams that are relevant unfortunately. So the finals matchup is in. And as you said, no games being played uh, in uh, Victoria. Funnily enough, only one team is actually playing a home game at home. And that's the kickoff of the finals. So qualifying final Friday night, mate, down in in Adelaide, down for me anyway, to the left a bit for you. Um, Adelaide Oval, it's Port Adelaide taking on the Geelong Cats. How do you see this playing out?
1: Look, I I think the theme that I'm going to run with in general for most games is who's going to stop the big power forwards? I mean, that's what we want to see in September, don't we, is uh, the big forwards hitting the big goals. And um, having had a look at a couple of previous games between these two, Tom Hawkins absolutely monsters Port Adelaide. Um, not only kicking four or five goals a game, just his aerial presence in the ruck contest. He just has taken that one grab out of the ruck rule. He's just made that his own. It's sort of the Tom Hawkins rule. Um, For Port Adelaide to win, they're going to have to stop the uh, triple threat of Hawkins, Cameron and Rowan. Now, I don't know if Rowan's going to play, but assuming he does play, last time they played, they kicked 12 goals combined. And Geelong won by 21 points at the Adelaide Oval. But on the flip side, you've also got Charlie Dixon, who has kicked, he kicked four goals in their last contest. And with no Tom Stewart, even though he doesn't, isn't a direct opponent, um, it really st- um, shuffles their back line. So it might mean that the South has to, has to go back. It might mean that Henderson actually has to play one-on-one rather than rely on a peel-off defender. So I think where I see this is really who stops
0: big forwards look fair call out nate i think what worried me a little and keen on your thoughts here is the way they folded they being geelong um in in their last game uh, after leading you know by seven goals eight goals against melbourne and sort of losing at home that worried me a bit and the fact that they're going to port and port's going to have you know a full house with fans and you know the energy that they're going to feed off um had me picking Port Adelaide for that game, despite your, you know, very valid um you know call out on, on the forwards. And I think Hawkins and Cameron have actually been a pretty good combo for Geelong this season. I think they feed off each other well and they sort of average three goals each a game um, for the games they have played uh this season. What are your what are your thoughts on how much weight do you put on that game versus Melbourne? I know they were going to make the top four and and you know Chris Scott was saying that they, uh, you know, they were going to go play in Adelaide anyway, wh- wherever they finished. But I just feel like that the way they folded just left me a little bit concerned.
1: Yeah, it's not a good look, is it? And I think having I mean, had a look at recent qualifying final history, I think they've only won one of their last seven qualifying finals, including um, the fact that they lost to the same opposition at the same time of the year last year at the same ground. So um, that sort of doesn't help help them. On the flip side, Port Adelaide's record against top four sides this year has been very questionable. Um, It's sort of been known to be a bit of a flat track bully, beat the ordinary sides. But actually, when it comes to uh, the title fight, um, that's been a bit questionable. But I think given the fact that, yeah, as you said, I think placing a bit of weight, I've probably got Port Adelaide winning this in a very tight contest, probably made more than three goals.
0: Yeah, look, I agree. I think um, Port Adelaide for mine as well. Uh, Also, you know, Sean Higgins is going to miss out for Geelong. He doesn't make the side. um, But Mitch Duncan does return. And hopefully it's a good game. I think Port are $1.72 favourites. So they should get ahead and they should win that game, make it to the prelim, host the prelim in, in Adelaide. All right, mate. So then Saturday afternoon, we kick off with the Swans' and the Giants um, playing down in Tassie. Um, what's your take on that one?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the last time that uh, Sydney played GWS, it was a 26-point victory to the Swans at uh, Metricon Stadium on the Gold Coast. So that was at the start of the uh, Sydney uh, pandemic. Um, plus, that's going on at the moment. Um, look, I think this is going to be another close contest. Um I mean, when they did play each other on the Gold Coast, GWS did have a few players that could not play because they were caught up in the tier uh, one, tier one, tier two at the rugby uh, between Wallabies and France. So they sort of didn't have Toby Green and they didn't have their um, firepower. Uh, um, Having watched Sydney against North a couple of weeks ago, I just really liked the way they moved the ball. Like They're very slick. Um, they've got some good kickers. I mean, you've got likes of Dawson and Blakey coming off the halfback flank with some real poise with those left foot. Um, they've got a really potent forward line with Franklin, Packley, McLean, and if Reed's up and running, uh, Reed as well. Um, but I just think you can't underestimate uh, Toby Green. I couldn't even tell you who they're going to put on him for a matchup. Do they go the tall option in McCartan? Do they go the, the more the stopper in uh, George Sheward? Or do they even go with... If if they stop Toby Green, I think they do win this. Even though I did say I think it'll be a close contest, but I think if he can nullify Toby Green, I think they can win this comfortably.
0: Sydney, favourites for mine as well. Just a couple of call-outs, uh, Nathan. So Mumford's coming back into the side uh, for this one and he brings great, great experience for GWS. On the Sydney side, Josh Kennedy won't be playing, right? And, you know, I, I rate Josh, Josh Kennedy highly and he won't make it. And uh, also Callum Mills uh, didn't didn't pull up, so he won't be able to play either. He's still sort of uh, having his Achilles um, injury from, from the Gold Coast match uh, last week. And uh, Kennedy's still nursing a hamstring, so he won't be in. So I think they're big losses for their midfield. I think GWS have um, very big bodies and they're not afraid to get physical. And I think Josh Kennedy would have countered that a, a little bit for them. I agree with that. You know what I mean? And uh, with, with, with that said, it will be a very physical game. I still have the Swans pipping it and buddies in as good a form as he's been in for the last three or four seasons, Nathan. And it was great seeing him kick six goals last week. He's eight now away from the thousand. And part of me just wants them to win and hopefully he kicks uh, you know 3 or 4 to to need another few goals to make the 1000 this season. Uh, I sort of said he could have made it if he played every game and kicked an average 3 during during the season when he got really close but unfortunately he was injured for a couple and couldn't make it. So he's eight goals away. It'll be great to see him uh, get there in a couple of games. Um he kicked 13 goals I think. Last time he played there, I think. Yes, he did. Um, did. So he does know the ground. He loves the ground. And I love watching Buddy play. You know, he's been my favourite, one of my favourite players for going on a decade now. I just love how he moves when he's not injured, obviously, and does good things. But Nathan, something, you know, I wanted to raise with you. It's on this sort of the edges of this game, but may not impact the game directly is the fall from grace of Stephen Cornelio. What, what's what been your take on this whole thing?
1: Oh, look, I, I think we've talked about this sort of off, uh, offline. Um, I think when I watched the Amazon do- documentary last year, I just looked at somebody who I, I don't think he was given enough support by his club. And I just don't think he was comfortable being a leader. I think. Him given, and given the captaincy was a burden that he didn't need. Um, it just, does, it just doesn't strike me as a as a captain. I mean, you look at someone like Rory Sloan, for example, in the same documentary. You can perfectly understand why he's a captain. Oh mate, the night and Rose. day, wasn't it? Brilliant, brilliant leader. But I mean, I just look at Kinnegad. just, it's just like it might not have been his personality. Did he? It just, it just didn't feel right. Um, I'm sure he's a ripping bloke and I'm sure he's a really good person. I'm not disputing that, but I just felt that he just wasn't, a, I just don't think he's a captain.
0: I agree, mate. He, I felt he was a bit sheepish in that documentary. He was sort of an accidental leader almost. And for mine, he almost felt like he needed to, to take that captaincy because of the the size of the contract he'd signed with the team and the fact that he was a star and naturally they're like, oh, you know, you should be captain. I look at how Sydney went with Buddy and I don't think anyone's ever mistaken Buddy for captain. He's never even been in the leadership group, Buddy, so. Exactly, right. So there is one way to say that, okay, you might be a star player. And, you know, interestingly, if you sort of flip it to a work context, Buddy would be the individual contributor who's an absolute star, but he's really good at what he does and he can't necessarily be a team lead. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you need uh, these people sometimes and, and Cogs is one of them. And you're right. I think he wasn't ready for it. He didn't really want it. And it really showed. I really thought it showed.
1: Well, I mean, he's only the third captain, I think, in the AFL era who's actually been dropped. While in the role of captain, I mean, you had some guys like, you know, Nick Maxwell, Tom Alley, you know, they were great captains, but they, and Richie Vandenberg, for example, they were great captains, but they weren't necessarily walk up. They weren't the first four or five picked purely Mm. on their football ability. They were picked based on their leadership skills, and they were, you know, especially Harley and um, Maxwell were probably two of the best captains in recent memory based on their leadership. I look at GWS and I go, Taby Green is, is the leader of that football club. He's mm-hmm. a spiritual leader, and I think he makes them walk taller. Absolutely. When he, and I think there's been no coincidence that when Green was made standing captain, they've just played with a bit more presence. They've played with a bit more mongrel, and it's just clearly evident to see.
0: Yeah. Look, I agree with you. It's just a shame. He is a sub. He's the injury sub, so he might still feature in the match, but clearly um, still not seen as someone in the best 22. And given the, you know, the price tag, uh, you know, obviously a bit disappointing. You never want to want your high profile players to be like this. And I don't know, GWS, obviously the big window sort of went away with a lot of plays leaving, but I think they still had a good call. Callum Ward's been having a really good season and his last few games have been fantastic. He's one of the older guard, uh, obviously, and it's good to see them competitive. I just wonder if that list will really win anything. Even Toby Green is 27 coming on to 28 soon when next season starts, Nathan. So they're not, um, you know, spring chickens anymore. They're all of the uh, priority picks and, all the draft concessions they received, uh, it's made them pretty competitive, and they've been sort of very relevant, and they've gained a lot of respect, which has been key to really setting them up as a team. But I don't think this list will end up winning an actual final. Uh, sorry, like an actual grand final. So they made it.
1: they made it a couple of years ago to the mm. last day in September, but I um, said so they were humiliated on that day in I think that also probably played played a part in um, sort of opening up some wounds that weren't uh, that didn't really heal. To be honest, yeah,
0: no, absolutely. Look, I'm really excited about that match I think it's going to be a fascinating match. Um, then the other Saturday game, the night game, again at the Adelaide Oval, is between Melbourne, our minor premiers, first time since 1964. And the Brisbane Lions, uh, how do you see that one playing out?
1: Um, based on the last time that they played each other, this was actually played at Giants Stadium in Sydney um, because of the uh, Brisbane uh, issues that were it's happening. Always,
0: there's always um, something, neutral grounds everywhere. Yeah, it's
1: <laughs> sign of the times, mate. That's, but, uh, <laughs> um, that was a game where Brisbane got off to a cracking start and had a good lead at halftime. And then Melbourne just came back to win by about 22 points. Um, so, and I think the way Melbourne have performed against um, the top four sides, they've sort of really risen to the challenge um, when they've needed to rise to the challenge. Um, I look at um, just the way they're, they're playing, like their, their, their back line is the best back line in the league. It's, um, you have got the big boys in May and Lever just doing their best work. Um, and then you've got guys... Um, like Petty and Smith, and I think um, Hippard can't even get a game at the moment, so he, you know, former All Australian. So, you know, he it just shows great teams were built on a, a great back six, and I think Melbourne tick that criteria. Um, Ben Brown is, is starting to show some improvement in his footy, really sort of giving them a target. Um, mm-hmm. I remember seeing him. I remember going up to a game in Brisbane four years ago when he was playing for North, and he kicked seven on um, Harris Andrews. Mm-hmm. and Andrews. Um, and you sort of think they've got the back line, they've got the midfield. It's the, I suppose the only sort of knock on Melbourne has been can the forwards kick a, a big score, and that's obviously why they got uh, Ben Brown. Um, I think I think Melbourne wins this one. I really do. Um, Hipwood's a big loss for Brisbane. Um, they sort of lose one of their key planks. It sort of means the likes of uh, Charlie Cameron, Joe Dunneher, and uh, Daniel McStay have to up up their game. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, i i I think I think Melbourne could uh, I think they could win this by about four or five
0: goals. Wow, and and just as we've come on air or started recording, Nathan Clayton Oliver won the AFL Coaches Association Player of the Year award, um, with bon- Bontempelli coming in a uh, second. So they're just having the season of their life, really. But they were they've also been um, guilty of a few ordinary losses, despite this, you know, amazing season that they've had. And and to be honest, up until three quarter time last week. Um, they weren't looking very good, Nate. So, I don't know. I feel like Brisbane are in really good form. And I'm going for the upset in this one. I actually picked the Lions to win. Yep. And one main reason is I selfishly want a prelim in Brisbane, Nathan, so I can go. Oh, mate, don't don't blame
1: you, mate. I haven't watched a game of footy in about three months. So, I'd, uh, if, I, if I was you, I'd take what I can
0: get. I mean, they did finish top four. So, we will get a, a home final in Brisbane. Either way, but it'd be nice to get a to get a prelim. They just feel different prelims. Um, so that's definitely sort of a non, you know, particularly football-related reason, just very selfish of me. But l- like I said, you know, how much of last week was Geelong sort of, you know, packing it in towards the end versus Melbourne really stepping up? And I'm just not quite sure which part of them is going to show up. Mitch Robinson is back in the side for the Lions, and he just brings a bit of grunt, which is just made for finals. Real, so I real think,
1: barometer, I think, for Brisbane.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Danaher's, um he's playing, isn't he? Danaher. Yes. Yeah, yep. so thankfully not injured for once. So he, he should, you know, give him a really good target. And, and it'll be interesting to see how that Melbourne's back six, uh, you know, handle um, the, the forward structure uh, from the Lions as well. And I see, you know, Charlie Cameron's going to have to have a ripper of a game for the lions to have any chance of winning and then uh you know rich needs to needs to really set set the game up from the back as well uh, for the lions so melbourne are favorites definitely um but uh, you know after last week i think they've they're still very vulnerable despite them coming back and winning that game and i'm going with the with the lions uh, for the upset
1: i tell you what, I do have a fun fact as well that I want to give to our listeners, and this is – I can't claim this. I'm going to uh, give a shout-out to my father-in-law, Wayne. And, uh, wayne um, you gave this to me, buddy. Um, last time Melbourne won a minor premiership was in 1964. Mm-hmm. Um, last time they won a flag was in 1964. Yep. And uh, the last uh, Tokyo Olympics was also in 1964. Oh, so um, – <laughs> So two of the three wow. have been ticked off. So I think if you're a Melbourne fan, just, I mean, just purely based on that fact, those facts alone, um, I think you've got to dare to dream at, uh, at Amy Park or gosh, Paddock or wherever it is that they're uh, located these days. And um, yeah, I'll just give a shout out to my father, or my lifelong Melbourne supporter who, um, and, yeah, who'd be uh, daring to dream. And,
0: and do you know what, Nathan, what a shame, uh... For, for them to, to win the minor premiership and have this sort of season, you know, amazing season and not be able to, to play at the MTG uh, in front of all their fans who can probably afford to to sort of, uh, you know, rent a yacht and, and make their way to Adelaide. <laughs> Mate,
1: I'll tell you what, if Perth holds a grand final, I think, you know... Um, then the man might have to get on, on the phone to uh, Mark McGowan and get that quarantine set up, because I'm telling you what, if they make the grand final, they will find a way to get over the cross another ball. If they have to do their two weeks in there, uh, I think they're talking about building some hotel, some uh, quarantine centre at one of the rough bases in Perth there. So, uh Get that get that up Jeez.
0: and running up, pitch up a <laughs> better, tent. I was about to say, mate, you better be up and running very quickly. Oh mate, because they'll pitch <laughs> tents, mate. They'll
1: they'll have their cheese putters ready. I'm telling <laughs> you what, mate. They're <laughs> gonna be
0: five-star tents though. I don't know.
1: Oh mate, I think uh for something like this they will uh they will sacrifice, but I'm, I'm telling you, um and I know a few Melbourne people and you know they have been they have uh, done the hard HUDs and um
0: now they I have. just wish
1: them all the best.
0: No, nah, for sure, mate. It's been a tough outing. But um I'll yeah, I'm going to go for my second team these days, which is the Lions. Alrighty, to so to round out the first week of the finals, Sunday back in Tassie, looking at the Bulldogs, who, you know, dropped out of the top four after a very, very wild final round. And they take on Essendon. What what's your take on that one?
1: Oh, look, this is going to be a cracker of a game. I mean, last time these two teams played, Essendon uh, knocked off the Bulldogs. Um, they're coming up with some really good form. Like, um, they're just playing with some real good ball movement. Stringer's playing some of the best football he's um, played in his career, and that's sort of even going back to his uh, days at the Bulldogs where he was sort of um, trying to get into that bona fide star. Um you know they've got a bloke by the name of Peter Wright. No one wanted him. I mean, the the Gold Coast are paying you know 150 grand of his wage, and he's come out and kicked seven against the Bulldogs, and he's kicked another four or five on the weekend, so he's in really good form. Darcy, Darcy Parish is um he's, he's arguably the most improved player in the league this year. He's playing some really good football, and um yeah, I just think they're playing with that real sort of. Dash and Dare. I mean, Ben Rutten's done some really good things and just sort of reinvigorated at least some of the kids that they've recruited up of uh, sort of a bit like when Port Adelaide with th- uh, Dersmo, Rosie and Butters. Um, their three are really, you know, showing some good signs. And I think, you know, Nick Hind is arguably the recruiter of the year, considering they paid peanuts from St Kilda um, to get him. And he's just showing that Dash and carry. So... Yeah, I think yeah, Essendon plays some really good football at the moment.
0: And is it is it good enough to get over the Bulldogs, Nathan?
1: Oh look, I can't stand Essendon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Makes two um, of us. Um, you <laughs> know, I mean they don't really take the North Melbourne role very seriously, but yeah, uh, we probably take it a lot more seriously than they do. And um, being an Ascot Vale resident now, um, I, I'm sort of on the border of both, depending on what part of. Ormond Road, I oh yeah, go across. Um, no, I think, look, honestly, all jokes aside, I think they're good enough to win this game. Um, I look at the Bulldogs and think um, Libra and Bont had poor games last week, and I think they're entitled to have those poor games. But I think, where's the ruck support going to come from? I mean, Sam Draper's has played some really good football for us, and then this sort of piecemeal... Uh, thing that they've got with Lewis Young and I think Bont threw himself there and oh, I couldn't I think everyone I think they everyone has a go at the Bulldogs. Um, I mean Kim English only went to five contests last week because they sort of needed him to provide some support and forward line for Aaron Norton with the ACL of Josh Bruce. Yes. I think for the Bulldogs to win they're gonna have to bring Stephen Martin back. He's gonna have to play the game of his life because um I mean they did sort of deal with a pseudo-ruckman in Tom Boyd in 2016, but I think they're going to need to sort of um, have a bit more support because unless they've played Tim English more in the ruck and um, relying a bit more on the the likes of Cody Waitman to um, do some damage in the forward line, um, I really think for the Bulldogs, when they're going to have to play Stephen Martin,
0: and have him and Tim English rotate in the ruck. Yeah, so I don't think Martin made the team that was named.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: So I could be wrong, but I don't think he made it. Um, mate, have you seen... So, so look, one, I agree with you, to be honest. First of all, with, you know, how the Bulldogs have been going now, something in their favour is before the loss to, to Essendon... They'd won the last six games by a fifty-four point margin against them. I know this Essendon team's a bit better drilled, and and the players are sort of high on confidence. But they should sort of they shouldn't be too despondent from the loss, um, given the way they've performed against against uh, Essendon over the last six games. And I feel like, mate, the the Dogs' midfield hasn't been. Performing that well, they sort of tend to go the way the bond goes.
1: They're so stacked. I mean, Bulldogs have got some of the most ridiculous depths I've ever seen in a midfield. Mm. Um, they're stacked and they've got some I mean, mccray serious talent. They have bont, Libba, dunkley I mean, it just goes on and on. I mean, you've got guys in the twos, Bulldogs who can't even get a game, they'd probably get a game for twelve thirteen AFL clubs. That's how you know, stacked are in the midfield, but it just seems to be that just something's not working at the moment. I don't know if it's a work rate or um, wear and tear, or maybe some sides have actually figured them out. But mm. I mean, if they get that midfield firing and get enough supply into the forward line, I think the Bulldogs win this.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think uh, I am picking the Bulldogs to win. I think they have. Um. Uh, I think they do have the. The list, the players, and and they're a higher quality than, than Essendon, so I hope they they get over the line. And the fact that I don't like Essendon either. Um, <laughs> is Yigla Hagen's injured? Is he? Um,
1: I'm not sure to be honest. I haven't had a chance to have a look at the teams tonight.
0: Yeah, um, it's a bit um, odd because right, he's not named even on the extended bench, and because um, I thought you know he was sort of a, a good uh, you know an adequate replacement after Bruce went down. Thought he was performing well in the games he did play and. He would have sort of served a purpose, but clearly he's um, he must be injured. Okay, so then Nathan, just to recap Port Adelaide versus Geelong, you're picking the Caps, not you're picking Port. Port, yep, and then Sydney versus the Giants, Sydney, Sydney, Melbourne over the Lions, yep, and the Bulldogs over the Bombers, Yeah. Okay, I think, um, I think what oh, we have the same picks as, except. Uh, of course, for the Melbourne Lions game, I've I've got the Lions. That's in an upset. right. Yeah, great. All right, mate. Well, let's see how it all plays out. Really exciting, and uh, yeah, it's good to see footy finals footy with crowds as well. Um, that's I guess one positive out of oh, putting the games. You could have they games are.
1: without um, crowds.
0: No, absolutely, mate. And it's a really good segue, actually, Nate, because two of the games are being played in Tasmania, and. Obviously, a few weeks ago, a much-awaited report came out. How long have they been waiting for that report? I feel like it's been going on for years. Um, Um, I don't think it's been
1: because Colin Carter, the ex, uh, he was involved in Geelong. Um, I think it's been sort of over 12 months in the making. Um, Obviously, border restrictions and all that sort of stuff sort of made it a bit challenging to sort of get boots on the ground. But um, Mm -hmm. it's sort of been a long-awaited report and... um, yeah, it sort of poses some really interesting scenarios for football in the Apple
0: Isle. And, you know, mate, like even I think 10 years ago, there was a question on or a statement by Colin Carter on, he, you know, it'll be illogical that you subsidise the 10th team in Melbourne, but you wouldn't subsidise the first team in Tasmania. And I think that's the general sort of theme of his report. So what, what do you make of that? I think, you know, everyone's saying sort of, duh, yes, of course tassie should have a team do you think they're genuinely closer or as close as they've ever been to getting their own team in tassie and and what needs to happen to make that a reality
1: look i think they are and i think what a lot of it has come down to is i think consumer habits of younger people these days i think the days of i suppose especially in victoria your typical victorian kid playing afl in the winter and um, cricket in the summer i don't think that's as clear cut these days um what you're finding now is that a lot of kids are gravitating to basketball and football, aka the round ball. Mm. Um, and obviously they've got the jumping jacks and the NBL coming on board this year. So I think, you know, there is that sort of, it's not basketball seeing seen as a legitimate uh, competitor now for the AFL, for eyeballs and kids in participation. So um, I think that's sort of... Really, where that sort of come to play, obviously, you also can't underestimate uh, Tasmanian Premier Peter Gutwin has pretty much sort of put it on the AFL say, Look, if you're not to come to the party, we're going to pull our money out. And there's obviously eight million dollars involved for My Mob, North Melbourne, and Hawthorne, so there's you know, there's a lot of money on the line for two Victorian clubs as well. Um, so I think the AFL sort of had to, um, I suppose at least it now to the presidents next March that are Tasmania um, ready to, are they going to make a decision on the future of Tasmania so obviously when looking at the Carter report it proposed three options the first one was a, a relocation of a Victorian team mm-hmm. the second one being sort of like a, a joint venture where you might play seven or eight home games in Tassie but fundamentally you're still based Uh, in another um, state or the third one being a 19th team. Now, I suppose my personal view is that I think Tasmania deserves a team. How that looks like, I don't, it's not as clear cut. I mean, from an economics perspective, I think for it to be a 19th team, it's not going to necessarily add value to TV rights. I mean, at at best you might get, you know, a handful of extra games because of obviously um, there's going to be buy. So if there'd be a 19th team, they'd almost have to bring a 20th team if they're going to do it purely th- from a TV perspective. Because mm-hmm. as we know, when they bought a night's game, in you know, they added about an extra $200 million to the TV rights. Um, my personal view, and um, it's probably, a, maybe it might not be in the best interest of the national game, but I think personally, if I was to... Um, Make a decision. I would relocate the Gold Coast Suns to mm-hmm. um, Tasmania. Um, I just, I just don't think Gold Coast has been a success. Um, I mean, even if you look at the population numbers, I mean, Gold Coast has got six hundred thirty-five thousand. Tasmania is five hundred forty-one thousand, and, and you being our boots on the ground in Queensland, Mo. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just never seen a successful Gold Coast sporting franchise. I just think no, not, I just don't think they're into. I just don't think they have that week in, week out appetite for sport. I mean, they'll go to they'll go to events and stuff, but I just think they're more interested in going to the beach and going to the lifesavers club,
0: mate. Um. So it's an interesting point you raise right so obviously I I attend Carlton games when they do play on the Gold Coast and I kid you not there are stretches of 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 the stands where it's just Carlton blue with no Gold Coast Suns fans and even when depending on who's got momentum you see that the the this, the noise that the Carlton fans make is just Above and beyond anything the Suns fans can muster, and so that passion, even for you know Carlton fans who you know have been living away from uh, Victoria now for years, in many cases, including myself, is just uh, you know you can't compare it with uh, with what you see from the Suns fans. And you know what? I don't, I'm not even sure that it's a uh, what do you call it? It's a um. Competition of interests on the Gold Coast, where there's so many things on that people don't know what to do. It's more so that there aren't a lot of natives, if that makes sense. Everyone who lives on the Gold Coast came from somewhere else.
1: Expatriates, yeah.
0: You know, exactly. And so it's very hard for those people, especially those who follow the AFL, to go and barrack for the Suns team. They will go to games, but they'll go to the game where when Collingwood comes up, when Essendon comes up, when Carlton Mm -hmm. comes up, but you won't see them at every game. And despite their best efforts at the start and, you know, bringing Gary Ablett up, which was, you know, a big coup and then trying to grow the game, they just haven't really made a big dint in the local fan base or in being actually successful and making finals consistently either. So I I can't disagree, Nathan. I think it is a viable, definitely a viable option. I'm not sure the AFL would want to wear that. Do you think I mean, they'd be happy I'd, to to say you I know we stuffed so. we stuffed that one up and <laughs> too much
1: ego I think um I mean in, blame
0: in, blame it, it on Demetrio.
1: Yeah, but I think Gil was involved in that too. I mean, mm. just to sort of further support Tasmania, like I think there is an appetite. Like, for example, when Hawthorne played Essendon, I mean, it was the first time Essendon had played in Tassie for 30 years. Mm. They got a 15,000 COVID crowd, but couldn't actually get any more people in the stadium based on the COVID restrictions. Um And obviously the fact that they're pumping $8 million into uh, two Victorian clubs shows that that'd be $8 million ready to go. And I mean, I know the Carter report did say that it would require significant government funding, but I think this could be an opportunity to sort of bring Tasmania to the national stage. And I mean, as a North Melbourne fan, like I've been to Tassie regularly for games and it's a really sort of, you can sort of really sell it on the tourism angle, Too, like it is a viable place to go and watch footy, and like you sort of make a weekend of it. Um, Mm. Now, I've sort of come up with my own idea for um, how they could sort of supplement the Gold Coast. Is you know potentially you know there might be two, three, four clubs or whatever they play up anywhere from two to four games a year on the Gold Coast, and that way that the Gold Coast would still get there. You know, eight or nine games a year. So there would still be content. And if it is, say, a series of Victorian clubs going up there, you know, they can sell that as travel packages. They could play the game from school holidays um, and sort of that way, sort of bring in some economic um, activity outport, Activity for the southeastern corner of uh, Queensland. Because, um, mm. I mean, there is, uh, I mean, uh, there is, as a, as a southerner, I mean, to be able to go watch your footy team in, say, July on school holidays, that's very appealing. And that's obviously been demonstrated through um, pre-COVID times when you used to get a lot of Victorians make the trip to the Gold Coast to watch their team play. So, I mean, I think there is a market in terms of games on the Gold Coast. I mean, look, I personally wouldn't want my mob going up there because obviously the, the history that we've got with the gold case, it probably wouldn't be a good look for the supporter base. But, I mean, yeah, you know, there's sides like you know, St Kilda. You know, maybe they may be even if when their deal goes out or whoever as, as a way of getting content because, I mean, the AFL is seeing great growth in grassroots football through the Auskick programs and the AFLW. Uh, women's football's done Gamebusters in the southeast corner of Queensland. I mean, maybe that's a way they could compromise to still get content, still get eyeballs there. I mean, I know it's not an ideal solution, but I just feel from an economic perspective, they're hemorrhaging way too much money on the Gold Coast.
0: So with, with that said, Nathan, is it then, do you see a path where Tassie gets their own team, where it's a new team in the competition, or will it be sort of a, a team that moves, like is that the only way that they'll they'll get a team if, if the team relocates to Tassie?
1: I think the thing is if they do get a nineteenth team, then there has to probably be a plan for a twentieth team. Mm. Because as I said, if if they're not going to add much to the TV rights, especially in the COVID world where funds are tight, you know, salary caps and soft caps have been slashed.
0: Yeah. Um and-
1: that's where you know what I mean there's gonna have club presidents going to go, well, where's this extra now we're gonna lose our slice of the pie. Because if the main the reality is TV is providing a big portion of the revenue base. I think when we did our podcast last year, it was up to fifty it was fifty-three percent in 2019. So mm-hmm. you
0: gotta
1: think, where's the where's the TV product? And I think what Tasmania is sort of almost a victim of their own success because they do all support the AFL already. So it's not like mm. you're gonna get new people following the game. It's just gonna be sort of galvanising the existing base but I I personally think and this is obviously to the detriment of my football club I think that they deserve the right to have their own team I think that they will be pushing a relocation and obviously everyone's going to say North Melbourne North Melbourne it's always the way it's the easy um line that everyone comes up with um but I mean if I mean, if I was making the decision, it would be the Gold Coast relocating and, you know what, they'd probably just take out They wouldn't even call them. It would be sort of a takeover rather than a relocation, mm. I think.
0: I'm not sure they can keep the suns down in Tassie. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. You'll have to go uh, with the green and, and something else, wouldn't you, given the nature of the state? Tassie devils. Yeah. Well, there's demons, there's devils. It fits all a bit too much. And just on the point of the next An additional team, Nathan, I I don't think that we have the talent pool that will support a whole new club either, if I'm honest.
1: I'd agree with that.
0: I think uh, the comp is stretched as it is. We are quite a limited talent pool in one country. We don't have really many internationals coming in. And given all the other competing sports and everything that everyone plays, having an additional team or two, as you were suggesting, if they're going to add one team, you're probably going to add another just to get the games in. Uh, to add the games to the deal the pool will be much too diluted which which on a very sort of separate note uh, makes me a bit concerned about the aflw expansion as well but that's a topic for a different day again the, the game was already struggling on the women's side to be competitive and appealing and entertaining and then they go and add another couple of teams and you're diluting that talent pool even further so Maybe it's teething issues there and eventually you'll get up to speed, but I think on the men's side, it'll be too hard. The other thing I know there's been comparisons to, I don't know how much you follow with the NFL, but the Green Bay Packers, which is a very successful NFL franchise situated in in Wisconsin and a yeah. sort of tiny little town, which is.
1: Yeah, right up the north. I
0: know, I know yeah. the area well. Actually, so, spent a bit of time there. For oh, a few years. well, there you go. And, and sort of, it is a small population. However, it's all in the one city, and that's why I take a bit of, um, you know, um, a holdout on the comparison with Tassie, because my other part to the Tassie thing is Nathan. Are you based in Hobart or Launceston? How do you split the games? Are well, you largely G- a Hobart team or you know well, Peter Gatwin's
1: Gatwin was on SEN here in Melbourne yesterday and I listened to his um, interview with Gaz and Tim mm. and um, they basically said what would happen is that the team would be based in Hobart in terms of their living sort of arrangements. But what would happen is that it'd sort of the games would probably be split between Launceston and um, Hobart, now the bigger games would go to Launceston because they've got the bigger stadium, and they're talking about doing an upgrade to make it between twenty five to thirty thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the moment, uh, Utas is about twenty two, and Bell Reeve is about eighteen thousand. So um, I think what it would be is Hobart would be the the base, the training base, but Launceston would probably have the bigger games.
0: What right. it. Okay, and, you know, it'll take some getting used to, but I guess it's almost like they have two home home fields and, you know, how do you get used to them and making sure you've got advantage and all, all that sort of thing. But that's fine. Look, obviously, Tassie is a very passionate AFL state, a lot of fans there that are ready to, to support a local team. Like you said, how many new fans are you picking up by having a team in Tassie? Maybe a lot of the current fans that, follow the local footy a lot more because they don't they can't um you know connect or relate to an afl team maybe Mm. they'll pick them up as well uh, and they'll be supportive of a tasmanian team Uh, but also it just from a if we put the financials and the economics on the side for a second just doesn't feel right having not having a team in a state that's so passionate about footy, don't you reckon, Nathan?
1: Oh, 110% agree with that. Um, I think when they first started the national competition back in nineteen—I mean, 1987, When sorry, was it 82 was when the Swans started. I mean, 1990 when the AFL uh, merged from the VFL. I mean, there's probably an opportunity to do it back then. Um, I mean, there was a famous state game 30 years ago where Tasmania beat Victoria. So, you know, there's mm. definitely the pedigree there. It's just, I think we've just sort of, I think to use sort of a euphemism, I think we've frenzoned Tasmania. I think they've sort of wanted a serious relationship and, uh, you know, they've sort of, the AFL sort of just frenzoned Tasmania for far too long. And I think um, Peter Gatwin said, enough's enough. I'm sick of being pushed around.
0: Absolutely. Look, let's see what happens. They put it to the presidents and we'll see what the outcome out of all that is. They've never been us. If it doesn't happen now, I'm not sure when they'll be put on the table again. It'll, it'll take some time. Nathan, we can't end a podcast when we have you on without talking about Tottenham Hotspurs. <laughs> and um, I don't know, if is he still your favourite player? Or was he ever your favourite player? I don't know where you stand. Oh mate, I've got days. my
1: my last football <laughs> shirt that I purchased. The first Nike purchase has a Kane on the back.
0: The, yeah. Is that right? So Harry uh, Kane, mate. So talk to us to update us on the Harry Kane situation. He sort of, you know, wasn't that training to begin the season. Now they're saying he's back in the fold. What what's the latest on Harry? Yeah, Kane?
1: so I saw a um Facebook post this morning. He basically came out and said um. I'm committed to the club. I'm not leaving this summer. Um, the way I read it was he's sticking around for another 12 months. Um, 12 months is better than nothing. Um, I think when you've got a player of his calibre, I mean, you try and keep those players for as long as you can. I'm absolutely stoked that, that he's sticking around. I mean, he won the golden boot last year and got the most assists. I mean, what... and. I think the fact that, I think the rumours coming out of the UK that the city only offered 75 mil for him. I mean, seriously, when they're um, offering 100 mil for Graylish, you <laughs> know, Man City can get stuffed as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think, and I think to be fair, I mean, Kane has always said he loves the club. I mean, he was born in the neighbourhood. He came through, I mean, he, he, he spent a lot of his uh, youth, at the club, um, mm. I think what this is for him is I just think he genuinely wants the club to, sh- to show some ambition and challenge Daniel Levy to um, win trophies. Um, I think if we win trophies, I think he stays. There is a, It's not that he's unhappy mm. in the sense of, like, I think he just he's just, you know, he's just got ambition and he's got go. I think that's what he wants. He wants to win. He wants to win trophies. Um, and yeah, look, you know, it's not nice. Shame players wanting to leave your club. I mean, you know, Stevie Gerrard nearly left Liverpool all those years ago for Chelsea. I mean, mm. so it's not. And you know, that's his boyhood club, like Harry Kane. Um, I, I think you got to sort of look at it in the context of um, he wants to. He wants to win. He's a winner. Um, if, if that's a crime, I mean, I don't know, what, you know, like I can't see what the problem is with that. Um, I think now yeah, what it does is it challenges the club to show a bit of ambition. I mean, look, you know, we've arguably got one of the best stadiums in the world, and I think from a business, they're running the club really well. But I think sports fans don't care about all that stuff. They want to win. They want to see the best players playing and giving it their all for the shirt. Um so I think obviously with the obviously with the pandemic has sort of impacted on that, but I think enough's enough now. I mean, since I've been starting to support the club, I've only seen us win one trophy and I'm not talking about the Audi Cup either, if that's what you're referring to. Um, you know, I think I think enough's enough now. I mean, I think you know, we we've I think we've been a pretty fair and a pretty patient bunch. Just, I think a club of our size deserves to be winning trophies. Now, obviously, to we had our chance, we've had our chances, and some would say Hurricane hasn't performed in any of the big stages. That's Euros, that's the club and country. But I think you know we really need to pull our finger out and, and be amongst it if we're to keep a player of his caliber.
0: Yes, and look, he is twenty-eight years old. When his contract's up, he'll be 30. So maybe that's why City lowballed the offer a bit. Although with the current sort of fitness regimes, et cetera, you'd hope he'd have a few more years in him. It's as bad for City, I think, as it is for Spurs, just because who's replaced Aguero for City? I mean, it's not Grealish, and they didn't really bring in an out-and-out striker of that caliber to get you the goals when you need them, the way Aguero used to do and i think kane would have would have fit the bill really well with with de bruyne there uh, you know setting him up uh, consistently and mares around as well so i think both clubs and the player also sort of you know lost out out of all this i don't think anyone's really a winner i know you, as a fan you'd want to keep someone of his caliber but do we really see spurs challenging for the title this season no um,
1: i do I'd, I'd hate to say it like you know, you know i'm pretty realistic um I don't. I don't think that's the case. I mean, is there an
0: argument for the top four? Well, we'll, we'll I mean, have to sure. wait. See. I mean, it's, it's going to be tough. But like you know, if it's not if, you know, uh, it's a not, game, it's not ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I don't think top four is ridiculous. But a game into the season, given where he is, does he really want another top four? Does he really just want another good FA Cup run and and I don't know, making another Champions League and and all that? Or like you said, given. You know, he is in, you know, 28 now, 29 soon enough. Uh, he just wants to win, like yeah, you said. I, just, and, I you know. don't think
1: there's anything wrong with that. I mean, um, ideally, he, I think, genu- I genuinely believe that he wants to do that with Tottenham. Um, you know, there'd be no better thing than the play for your local club and, and do that. I mean, he has had chances, so it's not like he's never had a chance. I mean, he's had a Champions League final and two Carabao Cups, and you know multiple sort of I suppose semi-finals at um, the FA Cup level, so it's not like and plus finishing top three twice um, a few years back. So it's not like he hasn't had any opportunities. It's just there's probably been a bit of unluckiness and just not being good enough.
0: Yeah. No, look fair. Let's see how it all uh, pans out this season and if uh, it's a good one for Tottenham. Because you never know, Nathan, if the season's going downhill and there's a winter transfer window, it, it might be the time to move on as well, right? But at least now they buy themselves some time to go through. And one, one positive sort of light or sort of, you know, like a little bit of hope for you, Nathan, is that at least you're doing a lot better than Arsenal. And I'm oh, sure you're always my. happy about that.
1: But you know what? The funny thing is this is probably how much uh, less uh, regard I've got for them. You know, I don't even think about it as much anymore, to be honest. Um, <laughs> they've I mean, become I, a I've, bit
0: irrelevant, haven't they?
1: I mean, take the rivalry of the equation. I mean, you look at sort of what they were doing 10, 15 years ago and look at what they've got now. Like, it's just, it's genuinely surprising. And um, as much as I enjoy it, um, you know, you sort of, to take that away from it, and, and you think, geez, what what's happened to them? I mean, mm. I, mean Arteta, I, 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 I tell you what, if they're struggling and we knock them off in about five games' time, our Ted is gone.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, well, they've got City next away, so it <laughs> doesn't get any easier for them.
1: No, it's just, I don't know, it's it, they just seem to, I don't know, it's almost like there's, a, there's an element of ex, acceptance. Hmm as to what the predicament's in is, are they another one it's sort of almost a bit like us, you know, like focusing more on the business rather than the actual football? I mean, I don't know. To be honest, I don't really care. But um, I think, yeah, they're definitely a shadow of their former selves.
0: Yeah, absolutely, which, which is a shame. I mean, you're always – a good Arsenal team is good for the – Overall, Premier League, I think, and I don't know, Stan Kroenke and how he runs his uh, his uh, operation there hasn't been clearly hasn't been very good over the last ten years, as proven by their um, by their results. But yeah, we'll see how that th- they pan out. Nathan, mate, always good to have you on.
1: Oh, thanks for having me on, and you know, I always wondered if I would get another guernsey, but now I'm I'm really appreciative, and uh, I uh, if you ever need me, yeah. Uh, i look forward to coming on again.
0: Mate, in, in any time, it's great to have you. And next time we've got to talk about how Virat Kohli hasn't scored a century in 50 innings now, but that's a, a different topic. Uh, oh, for,
1: mind you, there's probably been about 35 of those have been 220 innings, so I'm going to cut the <laughs> blokes
0: from Slack. <laughs> yeah, no, cut him some Slack there. still one of the one of the greats, but, you know, I started to stay. got to call out. Of course. If we give credit where it's due, you got to call out when the performance isn't right up to it. But that, that's all right. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and we'll chat to you soon.